some of us would be able to relate or recall a television show that was originated in the 1950s. It actually was first a radio program, but uh, um, I'm afraid the vast majority of us would remember the show Dragnet. Uh, ja uh, Sergeant Joe Friday. The radio version and the, the television version featured Jack Webb in, in the show Dragnet, and that, that formidable song or, or tune that was played. Dun, 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 dun. You'd remember that. <laughs> and those, uh, thank the Lord for TV land and some of the shows, that, the, t the channels that replay these good shows like that. But th that show, Dragnet, it was about the Los Angeles Police Department, and a dragnet was, was literally, it was a system of coordinated measures that the, the department would use to capture criminals or, or suspects. And so it was called a dragnet, casting the net. It, it was redone in 1987 as a, as a movie, a feature film, from a comedy standpoint, I guess, with uh, Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd uh, in, in the movie Dragnet. But there's a better dragnet that originated long before the television or the radio program, the television show, or the movie. And it's in our seventh kingdom parable found in Matthew chapter 13. Would you read along in the scripture with me this morning? Matthew chapter 13 and verse 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to the shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Lord, may we understand your words, spoken, written, recorded for us, preserved for us till this day. May we get the meaning, the message of this simple parable. Father, may it stir our hearts to respond. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the seventh of the kingdom parables that's found in the 13th chapter of Matthew. Many, and I think it would be appropriate to say verse 52 of this 13th chapter is the eighth parable. But this one, in essence, is a closing of the topic. He's gone through these parables and there have been parables with just one simple message but parables that spoke about the kingdom of God. Not about Israel, not about the church, but about the kingdom. Now, obviously, the church is a part of the kingdom. Uh, we could say that there is an emphasis upon Israel within the millennial kingdom. But here he's showing kingdom living. 
And he comes to this con- almost concluding parable. And, and he's speaking about the seriousness of being in the kingdom. The severity of this. It, this parable deals with casting a net. Uh, these disciples, this related to them. Some of them were fishermen, not all. But it was a simple parable. And, and it's a parable that to them, it spoke to the urgency of the day, as well as the eternal implications to responding properly. I think today we need this message proclaimed with urgency and stressing the eternal implications. We dare not try to spiritualize certain aspects of this uh, that are found within this parable and make it something that it's not. But just the simple message of the severity of making certain, making certain you're a part of the kingdom of God. So we look at this text and we see, first I want you to notice what is described in verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like... A net, a dragnet, the New King James says. It is like unto a net that is cast into the sea and it gathers of every kind. This was relatable to these disciples. Again, this was a parable spoken to them privately, uh, one on twelve. Uh, Maybe there were others that heard the the teaching, but it was not for the vast majority. It was a simple message, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so he speaks to them about the net. The kingdom of heaven is like a net, a dragnet. The Greek word for net, dragnet, that we find here is what we get our English word sane. Not sane as opposed to insane, but sane as a... Why did I point to myself when I said insane? That wasn't what I was... Sane as opposed to uh, a fishing net. How many of you have ever pulled a sane? Have ever used a sane? That's that's a... I guess there's a purpose in it. If you're draining a pond, that's the only time I've ever been a part of using a sane. Rusty Murphy, uh, they drain the pond by his house and uh, we got the the net, uh, the seine, and, and one on e- one end, one on the other. It's a pretty good size, and we would pull it through the water and catch the fish. I thought, neat. Well, that's what's being used here, uh, being spoken about. But there were two kinds of nets, and I think we, we understand them. There was a net that a man in a boat could use out in the depths of the sea where he throws it out, it's circular, and weighted on the ends or the, the circumference, the outside of the, of the net, it would sink down and catch maybe a, a group, a, a school of fish, or certain ones, and then as you pulled it up, it, it, it caught everything in its circumference, in its net. In that way. That, that's one type of net. But that's not what he's, he's using here. That's not the picture that he has in, in mind. Uh, it's a fishing seine that was dragged through the water. It was more, if you will, rectangular. It's probably large. It could be at any size. But it worked best if it was large, as, as, as I think he has in mind here. And it required teamwork. 
great effort in casting it out and then pulling it from the ends to pull in and catch a great drought of fish, a great catch. Um, teamwork, all that were involved, uh, all had to be involved in casting and drawing in the net that he's talking about here. Uh, the net, no doubt, uh, is the gospel message. And it's, it's the picture of casting the net, to be cast into the sea. The idea, the concept that was related to, they thought of fishing and uh, the, the fishermen maybe in separate boats doing that and pulling the net in. But there was great teamwork that was involved. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 as he talked about partnership in the gospel and as he talked about the importance of, of different roles in people coming to faith in Christ. Paul said that some watered, excuse me, some planted, some watered, but it was God who gave the increase. As we take what he's saying in this parable about casting the net, may we understand that as believers in Christ, we have a teamwork of responsibility. Though this parable is not directed to the New Testament church, we know that as believers... In the kingdom of God, we have a calling, a responsibility, a teamwork to be involved in in casting the net, in drawing the net. God is the one who gives the increase. While that analogy or metaphor, if you will, has to do with uh, um, um, uh, agriculture, this one has to do with, with aquaculture. Uh, on the sea and fishing in that manner. How do we respond? Understanding our responsibility in drawing the net, in casting the net, in the responsibility of the gospel message going forth. Some planted, some watered, but God gives the increase. How are you planting the gospel seed? How are you casting the gospel net in your life? And it is God who gives the increase. There is a tremendous teamwork. And as it relates to the kingdom of God, there is tremendous teamwork from churches. Believers, like-minded believers getting together in maybe uh, uh, several churches within one city or one, one town, maybe within a nation, they get together and partner for the gospel net to be cast. It's very biblical. While we'll have some to tell us that, that, that conventions of churches are, are, are anti-scriptural and such, I don't see how you can say that when you see the, the teamwork that is involved in casting the gospel net. So he says that they, they cast the dragnet into the sea. Are you taking hold of the gospel same? Are you involved in planting and watering? Oh, that we would have an emphasis upon that in our lives, in the Lord's church. I'm saddened by, it seems, the, 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 the popular method of, uh, of the last several years, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't know that it's effective, but this attractional mode of trying 
to, to reach people, that we do something that attracts them. Let's bring in Herman and the Dirty Noses to sing and, and, and have the bass singer to waggle his rear end down to the floor as he growl, uh, growls out some low note and everybody just claps and haws, but preach the gospel and they have nothing to say. Attractional method. Let's, let's get lights and let's get smokes and let's get some pastor in skinny jeans. I promise you, you don't want to see that. But we get that attractional method is not necessarily what we see. Yes, the gospel is attractive, but it's not attractive until it's made known. And the Spirit of God births within that heart of the believing sinner, the glorious uh, salvation, regeneration, justification, sanctification that God gives. Let us stop trying to attract and come seeker-sensitive to get people to come. Let's cast the net, the gospel net. That's what's described in this text. That's what he's, he, he's speaking about. And folks, we'll never reach those who are apart from Christ until we cast the net until we make known how that Christ died for our sins, that we're sinners, every one of us, deserving of an eternity in hell. You may be a good sinner, you may be a bad sinner, but you're a sinner. And apart from Jesus Christ, you'll die and go to a devil's hell. We need to make it known that Jesus Christ took your penalty on the cross of Calvary. He took my penalty on the cross of Calvary. We're saved when we believe upon Him, when we trust in Him as our Savior, that His atonement was sufficient. Not when we do all these good things or go to all of these right classes and all that, but when we trust in Jesus Christ alone. We'll never reach those who are without Christ until we cast the gospel net. And look what he says in verse 47. Is it the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea? and gathered some of every kind. Gathered some. As the fishermen cast that large net into the sea, they had no way of controlling what type of fish were caught. Uh, the net was dragged through the water and it snared every fish uh, that, that would swim against the net. And, and some of the fish were desirables, some of them were not. We'll see in a moment about that. This just reminds us that we're to be diligent in casting the net. God will deal with the issue. God will deal with who they are. God will separate the sheep from the goats. God will separate the fish, the desirable, from the undesirable. We can't save them. Our efforts do not bring about regeneration, do not bring about transformation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We cast the net and leave the results unto the Lord. And I, in, our, in kingdom work, we're involved in doing that. In the church, which is a part of the kingdom, we are to be involved in doing that. So we see what's described, the net that is described in verse 47. Then look at verse 48. Look at what is done. Which when, they, when it was full, they drew it to the shore. Here's the accumulation in the net. It became full and it was drawn to the shore. And that, The net was designed to catch fish. 
If it was in proper repair, it was proficient in catching fish. And, and then we see that, uh, you know, if a school of fish was encountered, that, that it, would, it would snare them, it would catch them, it would secure them. And then there would be that accumulation. I, I think, as I think of this parable, our world is deteriorating socially. It's certainly deteriorating spiritually. Uh, but many people question the relevance of the gospel message in our world. There's some today that think what we ought to be doing this morning instead of proclaiming the gospel, somebody would reason in their mind, well, preacher, most of the folks that are there, they're saved. They've made a profession of faith. Preacher, most of the people that have watched this uh, televised uh, recorded broadcast, they're saved. Don't, just get off the gospel and, and tell them how to how to live a good life. Tell them how to, how to have a good family. That's what's hurting today is our family. Folks, if you're lost, you, there's no reason other than to have a bad family because you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you reject, I'm not saying everybody has a, has, a, has a problem and their family's lost necessarily, but, but, but the message of the gospel is relevant in our day. It is relevant for us in our modern culture. We don't need the other efforts for that, this weekend we, or, or the end of the week, and the uh, on Saturday, went down to visit our grandchildren and went down to see our um, our um, son and daughter-in-law. And, and this is this is Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Um, I, I mean, I have agreed that if we never see anything related to Mardi Gras again, we're happy. There's nothing about that Fat Tuesday, which comes up this Tuesday. They're getting in as much debauchery as they possibly can. Uh, they're, they're, it's just, uh, there's nothing about it that's, that seems to be appealing to this hillbilly here. And, and, and I don't know about you as well. I'm not saying everybody that's there. But, but I, I've concluded that the Mardi Gras parades are, are the attempt of, a, of a, an unbelieving culture. Though it's birthed out of religion. But it's the attempts of an unbelieving culture to entertain. I paid $2 to go to a porta potty and on a certain street down there where the parade was taking place. When I came out, I thought, I wasted my $2. This guy over here didn't pay, and he did the same thing I did in the porta potty. That's the climate <laughs> in that area of what's going on and what's taking place. It's empty people trying to entertain their minds. Get in as much sin and debauchery as be, uh, before we have to give up something to be right with God. Lent, they call it. Another illustration of emptiness trying to entertain is the halftime show of the Super Bowl. I didn't even watch... Uh, the halftime, I, I turned it over and watched something else, a basketball game or something that was going on. But, but it's, again, it is the, the, the empty, unregenerate minds trying to entertain. We shouldn't be surprised when a lost world tries to entertain. What do we need to do? Well, we need to cast the net. We need to make the gospel, not some watered-down, fleshly appeal that, that's half entertaining and half religious. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he says they cast the net. And as they cast the net, when it was full, they drew it to shore. 
There was an accumulation there. An accumulation. We be faithful to cast the net. Folks, eventually there will be a harvest. Eventually there will be a harvest if we cast the gospel net. But look at the separation. We see an accumulation of what is done, but look at the separation. Here's what's done. It says, when it's full, it's drawn to shore, and they sat down, and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw the bad away. They took the good, and I put it possibly in a, in a, in a pottery container or something to keep it fresh for someone else, or maybe they began to clean it at that point. But the fishermen inspected the catch to see what had been caught, the accumulation, and then they separated. The desirable fish were placed to either be sold or eaten, and the weeds, the trash, and the undesirable were cast away into a fire. Verse 50 would tell us, a furnace of fire. Now it's not our place to separate. That's not the teaching of this parable. We see as Jesus gives the explanation in verse 49, we see that it's the angels that He sends that will do the separating. So it's not our place to separate that. These are kingdom principles, not church principles. Okay? And in the kingdom. So uh, we learned this in the parable of the seed and the soils. Uh, if you remember that, that all are not saved that say they're in the kingdom. And so we see what's described, verse 47, we see what's done. That ought to really speak to us. That ought to cause us with this story to say, well, how does this relate in 2020? How does this relate to me, to you? So verse 49 and 50, I want you to notice what is decreed. What's described, what's done, and then look what takes place. Look what sovereign God schedules to happen. So it will be... At the end of the age, there's a time coming when there will be a judgment. So it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just. The angels shall come forth. The work of inspection and separation will not be done by mere mortals with human wisdom, but a sovereign God will appoint His faithful angels to do this task. When will this happen? We're told at the end of the age. What age? The age of grace that we are in in this day. I think if you want to get into end time theology, eschatology, if you want to get into that, this would be at the end of the uh, of, of tribulation. This would be at the end of the millennial reign of a thousand years. But it speaks to us today to make certain that today, if you hear His voice, you harden not your heart. Today that you know that you're His. That there's not a hope so. God will send His angels to come forth and examine those who are in His kingdom. Make no mistake, the verdict will be final. It'll not be the vote of a, of a church. It'll not be the, the, the persuasion of a preacher that'll declare. It'll be a sovereign God who will say, Yes, you're my child and you're safe 
you're saved, you're secure, or he'll say no. Now, I'm not talking about a general judgment, for believers will be declared already at that purpose, but this will be the judgment of the damned. And look at the separation. We see the sovereignty. We look at the separation, verse 49 and 50, talk about. And it will come at the end of the age, and angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. A day of judgment. We've joked, we've laughed through life about judgment day. Doing this until judgment day. May I say clearly and plainly and authoritatively on the word of God, there is coming a day of judgment. You may think that's just the preaching of some Bible-thumping preacher, some fundamentalist that they say, you know, we're, too, we're, we're, we're a whole lot of uh, not much fun, a whole lot of uh, damn and not much mental. That's what they want to say, but it's a fundamental truth of the Scripture that there's coming a day of judgment. How do you respond? There's a truth that many today choose to deny Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Christ alone, my friend, can save from sin. Christ alone is the one who reconciles you, makes you right with holy God. We're not holy. And it's only in Christ that you can be saved. Revelation 20 says in verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When I read that, when I hear that, I want to make certain that my name is written in the book of life. May I ask you this morning, are you certain? This little simple story of Annette, Jesus is showing the urgency, the urgency of the gospel message proclaimed and received. Jesus is showing that there are eternal rewards or condemnation. How do you respond? We see the sovereignty. As he says, the, angel, or the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just. We see the, suf, uh, the, the uh, separation that takes place as he separates the wicked from among the just. And then look at the suffering and he casts them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Eternity filled with endless suffering, misery, and pain. How do you respond to that? Now I'm mindful in the New Testament we're told in the book of Romans that it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. The good news this morning is that you don't have to spend eternity separated. The good news is that Jesus Christ has made the way. Not one way among many ways, but the only way. 
When he suffered on the cross of Calvary, he was suffering the penalty for my sin. He was suffering the penalty for your sin. How do you respond to him? Do you trust him? Do you think that's payment enough? Do you believe that what he did on the cross was enough to save you? Or do you think you've got to live a certain life? Do you think you've got to be a member of a certain church? Do you feel you've got to be baptized in a certain water? This morning I'm here to tell you the good news is that it is by grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved. Not by what you do, where you go, how you live. Certainly we ought to live a certain way, being redeemed, being transformed. But I invite you this morning, if you've never believed the goodness of God, that Jesus did it all for you, would you trust Him? Don't trust in religiosity. Don't trust in uh, some church that may attract you with their uh, beautiful canned message and lights. And, or even us as stately with these windows and these chandeliers and all of these things may be. It is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is a message of what Jesus did to save you. Are you trusting in Him? There's an urgency in this parable. An urgency that people who say they're a part of the kingdom of God, that they genuinely be by trusting in Jesus. One day, He'll send His angels. Sovereign God will send His angels. And there will be a separation. What will it discover? What will it show? What will it find? There are great challenges to the unsaved in this parable. There are great challenges for the saved, that we be about casting the gospel net. How do you respond? Have you turned from yourself, turned from your sin, and turned unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed upon Him for eternal salvation? I trust you have. There's no reason for you to leave this place apart from Christ and in your sin. No reason. Trust Him today. Believe upon Him today. Would you pray with me? While every head's bowed, every eye closed, in these moments of response, in a minute we'll sing a, a hymn, as we always do, to close out this time, this, this service. And I invite you to make a response as we're singing, or even now as I'm praying, or beginning to pray, to make a response. Say, yes, Lord, I thank you that you've saved me by your grace and I'm secure. I'm a part of your kingdom. Or to make a response today to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I need to trust in Jesus. If that's your response today when, when we sing, I just invite you to come forward and say, I, I, I know I need to be saved and I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Now walking forward won't do it or anything like that, but He just says to me, and to this congregation that you want us to share the good news with you and to maybe tell you again how that you can be saved so that you can trust Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've done that. And your response this morning would just be to make it known to this, this body of believers that's a New Testament church, a local church, and to the kingdom of God as a whole, the kingdom of heaven, to say, I'm a part of His kingdom because I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm saved. Father in heaven, I pray that we would respond obediently today. I thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you for Jesus who is the Christ of the gospel, the good news. 
is about Jesus and His finished work. And Lord, how I pray today that every ear that hears will respond in some way to Your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to